0: you want it you need it it's what everyone's talking about the kevin sheehan show now here's kevin ross tucker is going to be on the show today uh looking forward to that he'll join us in roughly 20 minutes or so um it's always good to catch up with ross he played for the redskins he's been a media guy forever has a ton of podcasts we'll get his thoughts on the redskins Um, And he tweeted out something yesterday after Don Shula's passing. He was at the game as a Philadelphia Eagles fan back in 1993, and he was at the vet the day that Don Shula broke the all-time wins mark. Uh, So we will catch up with Ross Tucker in about 20 minutes. Uh, A couple of things real quickly before we get to the Dwayne Haskins letter slash message that uh, was put out on Redskins.com earlier Uh, this morning. Um, The University of Tennessee just announced uh, moments ago plans to bring back students for the fall semester. Uh, I'm happy about that. I have a niece who goes to the University of Tennessee. Uh, My sister and brother-in-law live in Nashville, one of my favorite cities in the United States, Um, and my oldest niece uh, is going to be a sophomore next year at the University of Tennessee. So good for her, but more importantly to to, to this group uh, and those listening, Um, they join basically LSU, Alabama, Texas A&M, Missouri, Arkansas, Georgia, and South Carolina in making the same announcement about students being back on campus for the fall semester. You know what that means, football fans? That means the SEC is going to play football in the fall. And even if the rest of college football doesn't, Uh, if you at least have, uh, you know, a triple header or a quadruple header every Saturday of sec games, I'll take that versus nothing. Uh, but anyway, um, that's an interesting thing. And of course, obviously it's subject to change between now and then, but God, I hope this is the beginning of a lot of this news, um, over the next uh, couple of weeks and months ahead. Um, we have to start with Dwayne Haskins and the message that he put out via Redskins.com today. Um, it's, I'm going to read it to you for those that haven't read it because I'll tell you up front, um, I think it was very well done. This is a reflective piece written by Dwayne Haskins titled, In My Words... Um, Subtitled, Dwayne Haskins Shares the Experiences of His First NFL Season. Um, And it starts with, it was April 25th, 2019, and the Washington Redskins were on the clock. Friends, family, and mentors surrounded me as burgundy and gold flashed on the screen. This is Dwayne Haskins writing this, and it was put out on Redskins.com earlier today. He writes, I was actually in Nashville. Well, there's the second Nashville reference of the day. Well, that's where the draft was. He said, I was actually in Nashville before the NFL draft for some marketing opportunities. People asked, why are you going home? The answer was simple. Family is very important to me. You can only take five people to the draft, and I have at least 15 cousins. Instead, I decided to rent out a bowling alley that my family went to when I was in high school. It was a cool little event. There was a VIP section for my close family and all of the people that I'm really close with. I packed the place with all the cousins, nieces, and nephews I could. There was also the chance that the Redskins were going to draft me, so I wanted to be close To home. Um, I'll stop right there and just mention that, you know, there was no mention in this message about charging people to get into the event, the draft event. Um, that was run by his marketing company H and H Marketing. He talks about a VIP section for close family and all the people that he's really qu- close with, and that he packed the place with all the cousins, nieces, nieces, and nephews that he could. It is my understanding, also, just for the purposes of making sure that uh, you know that, that that we don't we don't backtrack, um, because some will say, "Well, you got that one wrong." Um I don't think we did get it wrong. I just don't think he mentioned it here that they charged, you know, 40 bucks a head or whatever it was for other people to come in and share in Dwayne Haskins' draft night. Um he didn't mention that. That's okay. I'm not being critical of that. I just brought it up as the first thing that I thought of after this first part of the letter. Let me just say if I didn't say it before, I forget if I said it before or not. I think this was a very well done sort of reflection piece on his first year as an NFL quarterback i think you'll hear some of that i think it was a really smart move too by the redskins um now i don't think they're going to make him available to the media i've already reached out for my radio show i've reached out i mean Two dozen times um, over the last, uh, you know, ten months, eleven months, to try to get Dwayne on the show, and have had no success in doing that. They've really kept him to sort of the mandatory stuff that he has to do, you know, press conferences on midweek before a game, you know, a, a, a time or two during training camp and um, post-game, which is all a requirement for the starting quarterback when he he started. But anyway, uh, I'll continue with this um, letter from Dwayne Haskins. Uh, He writes, This was the realization, draft night, of a dream coming true. I started playing football when I was 8 years old and playing quarterback when I was 10. From that point on, I dreamed of being an NFL quarterback. I had literally watched every single draft from pick one all the way up to 256. It was like Christmas Eve. I watched going back to Calvin Johnson in 2008. I would watch literally every draft. I always dreamed of being drafted. Now it was about to happen. The pick was in, my phone started to ring, the Redskins were drafting me. Commissioner Roger Goodell announced the pick as my family cheered and my life changed forever. The move felt natural to me. I moved from Virginia to Gaithersburg, Maryland, which is about a 40-minute drive from FedEx Field in my freshman year, and attended Bullis School in Potomac. I won MVP at my first Nike camp in the Redskins indoor facility. I went to Redskins games in high school, and I remember writing about quarterback Robert Griffin III as the sports editor of my school newspaper. Ohio State sets the bar high just because of the atmosphere you play in on game day in the horseshoe. I was playing at Wisconsin, Penn State, Michigan State, playing in the Big Ten Championship game and the Rose Bowl. Those are some big-time atmospheres. In the NFL, every game is a big-time atmosphere. A lot of college teams might have several uh, professional caliber players. In the NFL, everyone is on that level. But I was ready. I definitely feel like I was prepared to play, at least not to be scared of the moment. And you know what? He wasn't scared of the moment. No matter what you think about his performance against the Giants in relief or the Vikings, which he gets to here momentarily, there wasn't a moment going back to the preseason action he was involved in that it appeared to me that he was scared of the moment. That's one of the real attributes that you can see as a sports fan. You know, for those of you that have competed in anything at any level, you know the guys that have that competitive gene. He has it. It was obvious obvious from the beginning. And he writes, "I feel like I was prepared to play at least not to be scared of the moment." And again, think of the atmosphere and the environment he came out of. You know, he played in in front of much larger crowds in much bigger games at Ohio State than he did in Washington his rookie year. Uh, He continues... I didn't know too many of the people on the Redskins, but I could tell there were a lot of great guys on the team. Meeting AP, Adrian Peterson, for the first time was crazy. He does everything you see on the highlight tape as a kid. You try not to be in too much awe of him because he's your teammate, but you admire what he's been through. Him, Landon Collins, and Morgan Moses have all tried to mentor me since I came into the league. And then there was the quarterback room that had Case Keenum, Colt McCoy, and Alex Smith. Being around a veteran guy who's earned his keep isn't foreign territory for me. At Ohio State, I played behind JT Barrett. He was a three-time captain and all Big Ten selection. He broke school records. I remember watching Colt play when he was at Texas. I remember Case playing at Houston and throwing for 5,000-plus yards. That would be the University of Houston. I remember Alex running for a touchdown against the Saints in the NFC Divisional Playoffs in 2012. "'They helped me in several ways,' Dwayne writes. "'They recommended I lift on Tuesdays instead of Wednesdays "'so my body has more time to recover "'and I can meet with the quarterback's coach longer. "'They also offered scouting reports.' Colt would say, I played this defensive coordinator two years ago, and he likes to bring this and bring that. And Alex would say, I played this corner, meaning cornerback, and he plays this type of tendency. I respected them as players and as quarterbacks because of what they've been through. But at the same time, I'm here to compete. I'm here to earn a starting job. So then he gets into the season itself, starting in training camp. Actually, he mentions OTAs. He, he writes... I knew I had an opportunity to start in OTAs and training camp, but I also knew if I worked hard enough and grew as a quarterback, I was going to get an opportunity to help the team. I knew I had to just keep learning and developing my body. Quarterback in, quarterbacking in the NFL is so much more complicated and difficult. Everyone is good at what they do. In college, you get away with so much. And then on top of that, you're not playing the best teams all the time. A linebacker can mess up on a cover too. He drops the other way. You throw a touchdown. In the NFL, that's never going to happen. I couldn't be sloppy with my eyes. If I stare at the tight end for too long, they're going to jump the route. Those guys are so in tune with the quarterback that they're even able to read your body language. I remember talking to Ryan Anderson and Tim Settle, and they said they could tell when I was going to snap the ball based on where I was standing. It's stuff that you don't even know people are noticing. I always look, and I was always looking for feedback from them. I would ask questions like, am I settling better? Is my cadence more efficient where I'm saying my ready, I'm saying my ready, like ready, more loudly, or am I holding longer before I snap it? It's stuff you might not necessarily notice as a young guy, I just had to learn how to pick up the nuances that can make you a pro. During training camp, I heard all the talk from the media discussing who won the day between Colt, Case, and myself. Avoiding that stuff is definitely easier said than done. We knew we were in a competition with one another. Case was trying to be the best Case he could be every day, and Colt was trying to be the best Colt he could be every day. I was just trying to be the best I could be each and every time I stepped on the field. whether it was a workout, walk-through, practice or game, I want to continue to learn and grow each step of the way. He says, and this is Dwayne Haskins, in a letter through Redskins.com. Um, I remember how I felt in our first preseason game against the Cleveland Browns, my first time coming back to Ohio. I was out there guns blazing, throwing plenty and pushing the ball down the field. Of course I made mistakes, but to be playing in an NFL preseason game, it was really like a dream. It was definitely a humbling experience because I didn't play the greatest first game, but it was so much fun to be out there. It was just a great opportunity. Eventually, Case, as in Keenum, became the starter, but I understood the decision. He, along with Colt, had knowledge of the system. They're leaders. They're veterans. They've played in the NFL before, and they know what it looks like and have more experience. I knew my opportunity would come, though. I just had to stay prepared. I helped my team win three state championships in high school. I helped lead Ohio State to a Big Ten championship and a victory in the Rose Bowl. Losing just two games back then was a big deal. I never thought I would lose 13 games. We had a couple of tough games early on, some good games when we had our opportunities. I remember Case coming off the field late in one of our early games and telling me, man, it's a grown man's league. It'll eat you up if you let it. Probably the biggest thing I took from Case was that you have to have the right guys and the right mindset to overcome losing. I had my dogs and my parents. I talked to Urban Meyer and Terry McLaurin. They all helped me stay focused. In college, it's easy to buy in. You're on scholarship, your food's free, your rent's free. All you care about is walking to class playing on Saturdays, and hopefully doing enough on Saturdays to get to the league. In the NFL, some people want new contracts. Some people want to get traded. Some people don't want to be here. Some people want to be here. Some people are married with kids, and some guys walk around and do whatever they please. But that's the cool thing about playing quarterback. You find a way to bring those people together and build a team. And then he gets into the experiences that he had in the regular season playing. He writes, when we went to play the New York Giants in week four, it was like a homecoming of sorts. It also brought me my first regular season opportunity. The game was an emotional experience for me. I've lived in New Jersey until I was 14. I lived in New Jersey until I was 14. I went to Giants games and remember watching Eli Manning. I wanted to get out there, throw eight touchdowns, and just beat the mess out of them. But that didn't happen, and it was a humbling experience. I couldn't even look at my phone because I knew it was going to be bad. I made a couple of good throws, but it wasn't fun to watch. My demeanor before the snap was terrible. My eyes weren't in the right spot at the top of the drop. I remember looking at the film and thinking, what was I doing? I got another shot against the Vikings in week eight. I wasn't in sync or rhythm at all. That didn't make me lose confidence, but it felt like I was against myself. It should be easier than this. I had just thrown 50 touchdowns at Ohio State. Why wasn't it easy? Then I talked to Alex for about two hours. He said, of course it's not going to be easy. You're a rookie who hasn't played in the NFL and is learning a new system, and that Dwayne writes, made sense. So once I was named starter a week later, I decided I was going to keep things simple and let the plays come to me. That's when things started to pay off. When I was in college, Coach Ryan Day told me something I still remember. Bad things are going to happen, but if you make things worse, the whole game could be over from there. Fall on the ball if there's a fumble. Throw it away if someone is covered. Don't put the offense in third and 16 because you want to make four or five guys miss. Those are the simple things I focused on for the rest of the season. I remember going into the Buffalo game with so much more confidence, partly because I was able to continue to learn and had faced some early adversity. I was humbled and understood how difficult this league can be. I still made some mistakes in that game, but my mind was calm. It was windy outside and the Bills mafia was loud, but I was going to be the best me, the best quarterback, the best leader I could be. There were still some bumps along the way. I thought we were going to beat the Jets. They, and this is that next game against the Jets. I thought we were going to beat the Jets. They were blitzing us all game. Remember Jamal Adams? And he says, Jamal Adams had three sacks. It was just bad. It's all about thinking positively and what you tell yourself. If I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, if I study and put in the work, I'm going to play well. There's no doubt I was starting to play better, but it was all about getting into that groove of knowing that I'll make mistakes, but as long as I'm making more plays than mistakes, it's going to work out. Outside of our game against Maryland at Ohio State, And that was in 2018 when Maryland nearly upset Ohio State in College Park. It was a 52-51 overtime game, a shootout. Haskins played great. Uh, J.K. Dobbins was great. That was one of the real good games for Anthony McFarland. More on him coming up. But he rushed for two touchdowns in 298 yards against uh, Ohio State that that late November day um, back in 2018. But Dwayne writes outside of our game against Maryland at Ohio State, the game against the Lions was probably the most anxiety I've ever felt in a game. Now I don't know. With respect to the Maryland game, if he's talking about because they nearly lost and it was tight or whether it was because he was coming home. And by the way, playing against a team that he had originally committed to. Then he writes about the Detroit game. We were going back and forth with them. They were kicking field goals. We were kicking field goals. That's what I love about NFL games. Every game is competitive until the last two or three possessions. That's when it matters most. We started to find some momentum. I found Terry on a 15-yard play. Adrian ran for a six-yard gain, and I completed a pass to Darius that put us in field goal range to tie the game. Then we got an interception that gave us a chance to win at at the last minute. It was third and five with less than 30 seconds left. I motioned Trey Quinn over and saw it was man coverage. I looked for Quinn, but he was covered. I could have made the throw, but it would have been a contested ball. So I reset, and as I was trying to avoid a sack, I saw Terry running across the field. I put the ball up where only he could make the catch. He came down with it and put us in position to kick a field goal to take the lead. That was a phenomenal play. Two plays later, another interception by Detroit sealed the game. We had just gotten our second victory and the first of my career. I'll never forget how I felt after that interception. I threw down my water bottle, looked up at the sky, and screamed with joy. It was the first of many to come in my career. Now, what is certainly noticeable by its absence is no mention of the selfie. There is no mention of it at all. He says we had just gotten our second victory and the first of my career. I'll never forget how I felt after that interception. I threw down my water bottle, looked up at the sky and screamed with joy. It was the first of many to come in my career. Now, I hope he's got a short memory and he forgot about it, but I doubt it because it had to be a learning experience for him. He didn't mention it here. The thing that I like about this piece, and I'm not done yet, but we're almost done, um, is that there's no real excuse-making at all in this. You know, he says, I was bad against the... You know, it was bad against the Jets. Um, It was... Uh, you know, that the, it was a humbling experience against the Giants and the Vikings. Um, let me just finish up this thing and then a few more thoughts. Um, so, uh, after the, um, after the, uh, Detroit, uh, ending of the game, it was the first of many to come in my career, um, in terms of wins, he hopes, uh, without mentioning the selfie. He then writes, if I could say anything to the fans who have grown up watching the Redskins, it would be that we are growing, working as hard as we can doing things the right way and building a winning mindset on and off the field. I hear people saying, what does that mean? It's the way we practice, the way we eat in the dining room, the way we lift A lot of times last year, I thought we were dragging. This year, I feel a new sense of urgency. That's what is fun about football. It's the want to, to play your best in every situation. That's something I think is important as far as trying to be able to compete with the best of the best teams in the NFL. If you don't think you have a fighting chance, there's no way you're going to win. I feel like as we continue to grow as a group, we're learning a lot about We are learning a lot about what it takes to be a winning football team. Stay safe and healthy, everyone. I hope to see Redskins Nation again soon. Um, I liked it. I thought, you know... He went through a lot of things. Did he leave out, you know, charging people to get into the draft party? Did he leave out why he took the selfie? Um, you know, he sort of addresses that by, you know, essentially, you know, implying how excited he was to get his first win, um, and especially after that last interception. Does it explain it enough for some of you? Probably not. But it's a very positive piece. It's a very self-reflective piece in that he admits that he was humbled early on, I think the interaction that he had in that quarterback room with Alex Smith, Case Keenum, and Colt McCoy um, was impactful on him. I mean, think about that. Those are three veteran quarterbacks. You know, rarely do you get to sit in a room as a rookie quarterback with like three veteran quarterbacks. Usually it's one and maybe there's another young guy somewhere. Um, You know, Colt McCoy's been around the block. Case Keenum's been around the block. Alex Smith obviously has been around the block. Um, but anyway, um, uh, I actually also think it was a good move by the team. I think it was a good move by the team because I think for the last two to three months, the only thing that we've really heard from Dwayne have been his social media, you know, has been his social media output. And I think this letter is very much sort of a a contrast to that. And it it reflects somebody who is more self reflective, maybe more self aware. You know, I'd like to see him dial back the social media, no doubt about it. But I think this was a good move, actually. Um, I think it was whoever came up with the idea. Maybe it was him. Maybe it was somebody in the PR department uh, in in Ashburn. Um, but I think it's a, a good little um, hello, and wanted to tell you about my first year. Now the bottom line. He's got to play well and he's got to win games i think everybody understands that i think everybody understands that that's the case um but with that said um again it was sort of a nice side-by-side difference um hearing him in long form versus social media short form you know social media short form can be incredibly misleading and it really isn't more times than not reflective of tone You know, sometimes long written pieces, long form written pieces don't necessarily, you know, indicate or reflect tone that much either. But I think this one did. Um, I think it was a good move by the organization to do this. I think more people will look at this and receive it uh, and feel um, and and view it as as favorable um, towards him. Again, bottom line, none of this shit matters He's got to kick ass here in the offseason. He's got to go out there and prove to a new coaching staff that not only can he do it, um, but he can do it in a mature way um, and lead by example. Uh, and then he's got to perform on the field. You know, brass tacks, win games, play well. You know, uh, he's got to do both of those things. Just winning games and not playing well. You know, some of you would say that's fine. That's all that matters. No, it's not all that matters. It's not you know you've got to play well you've got to be competent at the position he could have a great year and they could go 5 and 11 and i might tell you at the end of the year he was really good it's a team game the offense is out there half the time the defense is out there half the time and special teams gets their you know number of plays during the game uh but i want to see improvement at the position i want to see a maturity um, but more than anything, I want to see him improve at the position and perform. And I have a feeling we'll see that. Uh, Ross Tucker coming up here uh, momentarily. Quick word, though, about My Bookie. Whether you're down on your luck or just down because you're stuck, find relief with My Bookie, where there's never a quarantine on fun. Life Without Sports is finally nearing an end this week, with the UFC putting on its first show in nearly two months. And you can bet the house that everyone will be watching over under submissions, KO decisions, and every other type of bet that you can possibly ask for, they have. You can start off small or swing for the fences by taking advantage of this stacked card to win some cash at my bookie. And if the return of a good old fashioned blood sport doesn't get your attention alone, have some fun on the house with it on my bookie with a wager that you simply can't lose you heard that right a sports bet that you can't lose you can't possibly lose it this saturday grab a risk-free bet up to 49 dollars from our friends at my bookie because they don't want you to miss out on the action and neither do we earnings from mma and simulated sports not coming in quick enough Try your hand in the MyBookie Casino with instant access to hundreds of slots and table games. New blackjack tournaments starting every week offering opportunities to enter free and score a portion of their huge jackpots. Stay safe, stay sane from the comfort of your own home. Sign up right now. Go to mybookie.ag. Use my promo code DC, and they'll match your deposit halfway. All the way up to a thousand dollars. If you put in a hundred, they'll spot you fifty. So you're basically getting free money to play with just uh, by just supporting the show with my bookie. You bet you win, and most importantly, when you win, you get paid. And that's something you can trust me on. MyBookie.ag is one of the legitimate ones out there. If you're looking for a place. To wager. By the way, they've got all the NFL prop bets up there as well. A lot of people really starting to look at those. Uh, before we go to Ross Tucker, a couple of quick things. Number one, I'm not sure if anybody heard this or read this. Reggie Bush had some really nice things to say about Maryland running back Anthony McFarland. He was on a Fox football show either yesterday or the day before. And he was talking about the running backs out of the draft, and he specifically praised McFarland, who the Steelers used a fourth-round pick on in the draft. He thinks that McFarland, quote, has the ability to be just as good as Le'Veon Bell, if not better, closed quote. Um, Pretty high praise uh, from Reggie Bush on Anthony McFarlane. Look, here's the thing about McFarlane. I don't think Le'Veon Bell's a good comp. You know, McFarlane's a much smaller back, a much more explosive speed back um, and big playback. Not that Le'Veon Bell isn't, you know, a big dude that can rumble. But their running styles aren't all that similar. Bell is that unique, you know, patient you know, runner. I mean, we've talked about him over the years. I mean, there are very few comps to the way Le'Veon Bell ran in Pittsburgh. Marcus Allen would be the one that I would say most resembled the style of Le'Veon Bell. But how many times, you know, have we seen a running back get handed the ball in the backfield and come to a complete stop Think about how many times you're watching Le'Veon Bell in Pittsburgh and it just stops as he gets the ball and he waits and he waits and then boom, hits the hole and runs somebody over. McFarland's not running anybody over at 5'9", 195 or whatever he is, but he is a game-breaker. Um, and he had one of the great games um, that Haskins you know, referred to, um, and that was a game against Ohio State in 2018 where he rushed for two touchdowns and 298 yards. Health has been an issue with McFarland. I like Javon Leak almost as much as I liked McFarlane coming out of Maryland, Um, in part because McFarlane's been injured, missed a lot of games over the years. When he's been healthy, though, very explosive. High praise from Reggie uh, Bush. Um, Also, um, I just saw these comments for the first time. I don't know why, but they came, I think, on draft night, or maybe it was the day after. Jack Del Rio to Larry Michael. Um, talking about Chase Young. Del Rio said, quote, the best toolbox I've ever seen coming out of the draft. I haven't seen a guy come out with that many tools. I've seen talented players come out, but not with a complete toolbox like he has. Close quote. Just keep in mind, Jack Del Rio's coach, Julius Peppers, Von Miller, Khalil Mack, at various stages of their professional careers. Uh, that's really, really high praise. Um, also, one last thing, because uh, I got a tweet from many of you about Logan Ryan, the Tennessee cornerback, who basically um, in an Instagram post said, he's done with Tennessee. He's not coming back to Tennessee. He's been one of those free agents that hasn't been signed um, yet. Um, a lot of you are wondering why the Redskins you know, aren't considering him. There are two reasons, I believe. And apparently, and I mentioned this on radio, John Kime had similar information. So um, it sounds like Kime and I are on the same uh, page with this. Number one, he wants too much money. Number two, he's a slot corner. You know, the Redskins already have a guy in Kendall Fuller who can play outside, but I think Kendall Fuller is going to be their number one nickel slot corner. And Moreland, you know, the JMU uh, second-year man, he's more of a slot guy as well. So I think the money and the, the fact that they probably feel comfortable with what they have um, in, uh, a, as a slot inside corner is the reason I don't expect them to sign Logan Ryan. Quick reminder, if you're listening to this podcast and you can rate us and review us, if your podcast platform allows for that, if you don't mind doing that, that really helps us out. All right, let's bring in Ross Tucker. Um, I love when Ross Tucker is a guest on the show. Uh, He knows football. It's fun to talk to him. Most of you know he played for the Redskins a couple of times. He's been a media member now for probably longer than he thought. Um, He's got multiple podcasts, including the Ross Tucker podcast, which you can find on all of the normal podcast platforms. Um, First of all, how are you doing? How are you making out through all of this?
1: Well, Kevin, thanks for having me always, and uh, I'd say pretty well, man. It's weird. Now is like the first time things are about to be different for me, right? So, with you know, first of all, I've already always produced all of my podcasts from my home office. I have like a detached garage deal, yeah. So I, I already work from home. So, so that part of it hasn't changed. And then with the NFL going full speed ahead on free agency. And on the draft, most of my podcast, everything I do, has, has been normal, right? So on the Fantasy Feast podcast, we were talking free agency and how those free agency moves affected guys from a fantasy perspective. And the same thing post-draft. On the Even Money, which is the sports betting one, we've been talking a lot of season win totals and how the movement you know, after free agency and then after the draft, how that movement affects season win totals. And obviously the Ross Tucker podcast is pretty much every day just kind of giving my thoughts on the news. So that stuff hasn't really changed. I guess what's going to change is sort of May and June and July, <laughs>
0: uh,
1: where, like I already have usually this time of year, I have Greg Cosell on Fridays sort of take a hiatus Because there's, you know, he's not breaking down games. He's not breaking down, you know, draft picks anymore. But, you know, because of this year, because there won't be as much news to get into, I'm actually going to have Greg Cosell from NFL Films stay on Fridays. And we're going to have a new series called Cosell's Concepts, where, like, we actually dive into what an RPO really is or, like, what the different coverages really mean. So, for people that really want to learn football and get more knowledgeable, that's what we'll be doing on Friday. So, like everybody else, I think Kev trying to figure out what we're going to do content-wise during the next couple months. I got a guy; it's funny, actually, a former Redskin teammate, Brian Barker. Yeah, uh, I, I interviewed him. He's coming on. He ha- he's part of a business where like they scrub the draft pick social media from when they're, like, 17 and say stupid stuff. So like, there's a lot of, like, tangential side aspects of football, side businesses that I think are pretty interesting once you dive into it with somebody. Like, that's all they do. So we got a bunch of those lined up, like disability insurance for, like, a guy like Tua. and So it'll be interesting.
0: It's funny because when I was doing the show, the radio show with, with Cooley for three years or whatever it was, we, he, he's very much, he very much thinks entrepreneurial I, before I got into this broadcast business, I was involved in five different startups that had nothing to do with sports or broadcasting. And we came up with an idea one day on the air. It was basically like a, a Twitter check. So it was a social media check for athletes where they sent us what they were going to tweet out and we gave him a quick thumbs up or thumbs down because I feel like so many of these athletes need a final check from somebody with some common sense that can sort of read the room better than they can. Um, And so I think we spent like an hour and a half one day um, developing the revenue model and talking about how it would work to, you know, from a technology standpoint, of course, nothing came of it, but uh, it was fun for about an hour and a half anyway. But to your first point, You know, what we've been talking about the last couple of months is the same exact thing we would have been talking about a year ago, right? Free agency in the draft. Thankfully, football continued, and now we're going to have the challenge that we always have anyway, which is no football until August or September, um, hopefully. By the way, I wanted to start with this before I got your thoughts on the Redskins and the draft and free agency. I saw that you tweeted that you were at the game At the vet, when Don Shula broke the all-time wins record in Philadelphia. And I think that, you know, first of all, that was probably cool to be there. You were an Eagles fan, so you weren't happy about that. Um, But I think his passing um, has really sparked, you know, another debate about the greatest coach of all time in the history of the league. I've tried to make the case the last couple of days that Shula to me is either one or two with Belichick. I, you know, he had two losing seasons in thirty-three as a head coach. Took four different quarterbacks to Super Bowls. How do you view him?
1: Yeah, well, so first of all, it's kind of funny because I grew up outside of Philadelphia. Now I'm doing the Eagles preseason games on TV, et cetera. But I never played for the Eagles. I played for five teams other than the Eagles, including playing against them for the Redskins and Cowboys, which is weird, right? So I know a lot of your listeners, Kev, are Redskins fans. Picture growing up, die hard, hell to the Redskins, (laughs) and picture playing for the Cowboys or playing for the Eagles. I mean, that was my reality. And the thing is, it wasn't weird putting on the Redskins helmet. I actually thought it looked awesome, or putting on the Cowboys helmet. That wasn't weird. What was weird was, was playing against the Eagles. Right. You know, because think of this, right? From when I was five years old till I was 22, like I, it was so ingrained into me to love that uniform, to love those people, to love everything about it. And then to be out there actually on the other side of it trying to kill Hugh Douglas or Brian Dawkins or whoever. That was a little bit weird, like to, to actually go go after those guys in that uniform. Were you was a diehard?
0: Were you a true eagle diehard?
1: Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got Randall Cunningham's autograph 17 times at training camp, you know, <laughs> in the late 80s, early 90s. Like yeah. Jerome Brown, Reggie White, Buddy Ryan. I mean, I could still probably right now, Byron Evans, Seth Joyner. Mike Pitts, Mike Golick, Clyde Simmons. Uh, I mentioned Reggie White, yeah. Jerome Brown. You've got William Thomas was the other outside backer, Mark McMillan, Ben Smith at the corners, Eric Allen, Wes Hopkins, Andre Waters at safety. Like how crazy is that? Do you know that But that's I- in my head still?
0: I have often cited one game in particular, because I grew up a Redskins fan, was, uh, you know, my, fam- my father had season tickets, which was very fortunate. Like, I was fortunate. I went to every single game at RFK growing up. And I- there's one particular game in my lifetime of rooting for the Redskins that I consider to be the greatest revenge game in Redskins history. And it's the 90 playoff win at the vet that ended Buddy Ryan's uh, run in Philadelphia, which followed two months earlier, the body bag game. And that win, as a fan... Ross in that playoff game in January it was a wild card weekend round game and the Redskins went in and spanked the Eagles in the vet twenty to six after that body bag game on a Monday night two months before that I don't know as a Redskins fan there have been many moments obviously following them you know and loving them through all of their you know Super Bowl years with with Gibbs but that's the sweetest revenge game in Redskins history for me
1: yeah so that sucked for me I was eleven. I I know. It and did. Uh, we had a home playoff game and we blew it again because Buddy couldn't win a playoff game to save <laughs> his life. Right. So that was brutal. To your point, though, it is funny, by the way, that I distinctly I remember going with my dad when I was in the 700 level of the vet, which is uh, the most infamous area of any stadium there's ever been. I mean, it's like if you didn't see at least three fights and six beers get dumped on somebody's head, like something was wrong. Right. I mean, it was. It was like a jungle up there, and I remember my dad taking me, and I actually remember, number one, being disappointed that Marino was hurt and wasn't playing, right? This is 1993, and Marino was hurt. so Scott Mitchell started for the Dolphins, and then number two, obviously the Eagles didn't play very well. The weird part about that game is Scott Mitchell got hurt, so the third quarterback, Doug Peterson, came in the game and helped the Dolphins win it, and now he's the Eagles head coach, which is crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah, Doug Peterson came in. He was his rookie here. He was the number three quarterback, and he came in in the second half to help Shula break the all-time record. And I I don't even know, you know, I was 14, I guess. I, I don't even know that I knew that Shula could break the record that day until after the game. You see all the players run out there and put them up on their shoulders. And then my dad was explaining to me whatever. And I thought, oh, well, I guess that's cool that I saw some history, but boo, you guys <laughs> stunk today, you know, whatever. Um, you know, I think we talked about this before. I, I'm glad you brought up Shula because I'm going to have to do a little bit more research on this. I have always said, I believe the most impressive coaching resume in NFL history, is Joe Gibbs. And I know everyone listening is going to say that I am just playing to my audience. Well, first of all, if that's the case, then please go download and listen to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm playing to the audience. Secondly, though, it really isn't. I mean, it really isn't. Let me just tell you, okay, 81 to 92. So that's, what, 12 seasons? Yep. And then 2004 to 2007, four more, including 2007 when I was there. You're talking about a guy that went to four Super Bowls and won three Super Bowls with three different non-Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Then you're talking about a guy that made the playoffs three other times with three other non-Hall of Fame quarterbacks, Schrader made the, the, the playoffs once, Mark Brunel in whatever that was, 2004, or 2005, two thousand five, yeah. and then Todd and and then then Collins, Collins. Yeah. when I was there in 2007. So, are you kidding me? Six different quarterbacks, none of whom are Hall of Famers, or really even close if we're being honest, all, he takes them to the playoffs? six different quarterbacks in 16 years and goes to four Super Bowls and wins three. I just think like you look at Belichick, he's got five years without Brady as his quarterback. He went to the playoffs one time. Yeah. The one year in Cleveland, you look at like Shula. Okay. I I can see Shula, but Shula had what Johnny Unitas and then Earl Morrow in in Baltimore Then he goes to the Dolphins, and he has Bob Greasy, Hall of Fame quarterback. And then he has Marino, okay? A Hall of Fame quarterback for 15 years, whatever it was, goes to one Super Bowl? Are you kidding me? So I'm still going Joe Gibbs. You know, the knock on Gibbs would be, I guess, that he didn't do it for long enough, right? Like, he'd have more wins if he never took the hiatus and just coached forever. But to me... It's not about longevity. It's about production. It's about greatness. And what Joe Gibbs did in 16 years, two separate, very separated runs, by the way, which makes it even more impressive to me, that many playoff berths, that many Super Bowls, that many... Who, does anybody have multiple Super Bowl championships without a Hall of Fame quarterback, like two of them, I doubt it. He has it three, with three three different guys. Nobody else even has two different guys. And a lot of these guys, Shula, okay, well, Greasy's a Hall of Famer, Johnny U's a Hall of Famer, and Verino's a Hall of Famer. And Belichick, Brady's a Hall of Famer. So, I, I'm going with Gibbs. That's my story, cab. I'm sticking to it.
0: Well, you're not gonna you're not gonna get an argument with me on Gibbs, um, because it, now you will get an yes argument. I am.
1: You told me no, that no, 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 let me or
0: one A and one B. In terms of Gibbs being shorted consistently on the national conversation level in this discussion about the greatest coaches of all time, Gibbs to me is on Mount Rushmore, so he's in the top four. You know, it's it's uh, he's very close to that. See, the thing about Shula, and I remember all of Shula's, I'm older than you, so I remember Shula's teams in the 70s, I remember him taking David Woodley to Super Bowl 17 against the Redskins, David Woodley, I remember the Marino teams, which did not have a lot around him. You know, Marino didn't play with Hall of Famers, never a running game, no Hall of Fame receivers, defense inconsistent at times. Now, the teams he won with in the 70s had Hall of Famers, Like Greasy and Warfield, you know, offensively, and the no name defense, which was very good. I I really view Shula and Gibbs as very similar in that they both consistently got more out of less, which is the case you were making with Gibbs to a certain degree, because I do think while Gibbs in the Redskins had talent, it's not the equivalent of what Noel had or Landry had or Walsh had or Lombardi had. What Gibbs gets knocked for, Ross, he gets knocked for a couple of things. Number one, two strike season Super Bowls, which by the way, I think is a compliment. I think it's a reflection of great coaching. And he didn't produce like this incredible coaching tree for some reason. I think it's because he had a lot of older assistant coaches. But three Super Bowls, three different starting quarterbacks, three different running back sets. You know, the the Hogs were the constant, but the Hogs actually changed. You know, uh, Grimm and Jacoby and Bostic were the consistents, but Lachey was on the 91 team. George Stark was on the 83, 82 championship team. And here's the thing about Gibbs and Shula that is different from Belichick. The seventies AFC was brutal. Miami, Pittsburgh, Oakland, like you know, in their own division, the Colts were good for for a, a significant portion of that decade. Think about what Gibbs had to go through during that. 12-year stretch in the NFC East with the Cowboys and the Eagles and the Giants. And then the Niners and the Bears. You know, and the Rams and the Vikings had good teams too. Brutal competition. Those 80s NFC's were as tough as anything, and the 70s AFC was as brutal as anything we've seen. Gibbs, to me, is always shorted in the conversation. He's very much right there on the Mount Rushmore, you know, number three, number four. Um, But to me, Shula and Belichick are the two that have always, I I don't know, there's some context, too, in watching. Shula always, as an X's and O guy, like Gibbs, by the way, always seemed to be three steps ahead of everybody. There was just something about him. But anyway, um, it's... No, and the point I would
1: make, just a quick follow would be, who cares about coaching tree, number one? I love the point you made about how brutal the NFC East was, in particular, and the NFC in general, when Gibbs was there. People say, well, that was before free agency. Yeah, that made it harder. Because look at the competition that they had to go against. I mean, look at the teams that they had to play against. And then the strike-shortened thing is always kind of laughable to me because those guys were all back for the whole second half of the year, and then they had the whole playoffs. Like, who gives a crap that earlier in the year there was a strike when you've all been playing for five, six weeks at that point, then you're in the playoffs. Like, that's meaningless to me at that point.
0: I actually think it's a really good point that you made about coaching tree. Who gives a shit? Because... The truth of the matter is, if you don't have a great coaching tree, that actually, by definition, means you did it. You know, you did even more because you didn't have a great, talented staff, which, by the way, Gibbs did. I think the reason is Richie Pettibone was older. Joe Bugle was older. You know, he always had an older staff rather than a bunch of young up-and-comers, you know, Um, and I think that may be one of the reasons. But, I mean, look, what else are we going to talk about these days now that it's over it's it's Don Shula had a hell of a career two losing seasons in 33 years is pretty remarkable and again like Gibbs took multiple starting quarterbacks to Super Bowls in multiple eras didn't win now in 68 as the Colts coach if he had Unitas which he didn't have that year he had Earl Morrill they probably would have won a Super Bowl but to take David Woodley to a Super Bowl um you know is is pretty is pretty remarkable um I want to ask you about the Redskins. First of all, I don't think we've talked since maybe late in the regular season. What did you think of the Ron Rivera hire? Are you a fan of him and the staff that he's put together or not?
1: Huge fan of Ron Rivera as a person and as a coach. I was thrilled that the Redskins hired him. Um, Absolutely love him. I don't know how much you know him, but he's an incredible, incredible guy you know, with his family serving in the military and everything like that. I like Del Rio a lot as well as the D coordinator. Uh, and I'm not sure about Scott Turner yet. You know, mixed emotions on Scott Turner. I think he's going to have to prove himself. Um, but I thought Ron Rivera was a slam dunk because I just liked the fact that he's so well-respected by players around the league, and I felt like with all the noise that was out there and all the discussion. I feel like they really needed that, right? I feel like they really needed somebody that, you know, Greg Olson and Thomas Davis and Keekly and all these guys will say, Coach Rivera is the best. We love him, man. Because, you know, it was coming to the point where guys like didn't want to play for the Redskins because of the Trent Williams stuff, everything that went on. They needed a guy that could kind of uh, stem that tide I think Rivera does. And he also was a very successful coach in Carolina. Uh
0: yeah, d- d- definitely. I, now, you know, the concern obviously from Redskin fans after two decades of, you know, this this reign of of Snyder terror on the franchise that eventually, you know, something will go wrong, it'll become dysfunctional again. But as of now, it it certainly seems that Rivera has a lot of control. I mean, there, he was very much sort of the point person on this Trent Williams trade to San Francisco.
1: Yeah, um, it sounds like that. Obviously, it, it's not a great return for the Redskins, but it was what it was at this point. It had gotten down. I actually thought that Trent Williams would want to stay after, after Ron Rivera came in. I, I was actually a little surprised that he still wanted to leave. Yeah. Um, I like Chase Young quite a bit. I thought it was the right move, given the concerns about Tua's health, especially, and how he played down the stretch to see what Haskins could do. I think the Redskins are actually in a pretty good position where either Haskins proves his worth this year and they're on the road to rebuilding, and they have the quarterback in tow, or he pisses down his leg, to use an expression, and they probably have a pretty good defense, but they don't win a lot of games, and they have a a great opportunity to maybe get a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields or one of those guys in next year's draft. I thought it was the right decision. Now, if Tua was healthy, we might have had a different conversation. right? If Tua didn't have this significant injury risk, then maybe we'd have a Kyler Murray-Josh Rosen situation. But that was not the case. And given the fact that I thought Haskins did some really positive things against the Eagles and others late in the year, and you combine that with Tua's very obvious injury risk, and I I don't know anybody that thinks he's going to stay healthy. I mean, the odds of that have to be very small. I thought it made a lot of sense to do what they did.
0: You know, overall, um, Ross, they're across the board viewed in Vegas and other places as one of the two or three worst teams going into 2020. Is that fair or not?
1: It is fair because right now they've got a bottom five quarterback unless he proves otherwise. And they still have some some concerns on the offensive line. I mean, left tackle is still a concern. Left guard, I think, is a concern. Uh, I do like – you know, Terry McLaurin, but it's not like they loaded up at receiver. And the running backs still have uh, very many questions with their injury history. Defensively, they're better. Uh, but I don't know. I think it remains to be seen if the secondary is good enough for them to actually be like a difference-making side of the ball.
0: You know, you definitely got people's attention who are listening in a Redskin fans when you said... And so matter of factly, Haskins, they've got a bottom five quarterback, which by the way, probably is true. I I mean, I'm not going to sit here and go through all 32 teams, but based on where he is right now, that may be true, but I'm sensing and just correct me if I'm wrong, that you're 50, 50 at best on Dwayne that, you know, this year will sort of tell the tale on him, but you're, you think it's a coin flip or maybe not even a coin flip.
1: Yeah, I think 50 50 at best is probably a good way to describe it. Uh, he was fantastic his one year at Ohio State. And like I said, I thought he did some really positive things late in the year for the Redskins, including like against the Eagles. The flip side is, you know, as you know, there was a lot of noise, and I had talked to some people, a lot of concerning things coming out of Redskins' camp about Dwayne Haskins. And so the question is, How many of those are true or how many of those were Jay Gruden's coaching staff making excuses for why he wasn't playing and or why he wasn't going to be successful? None of us really know the answer to that. What I do know is when you combine those whispers and concerns, I know other people have gone on other outlets and talked about them. I'm not going to do that. Uh, I think everybody already knows what's been put out there before. But you combine that with like the selfie thing at the end of his first win, that we do know, that we do have evidence of. And I know these guys, it's a new generation, it's different. (laughs) But, man, Kev, I I have a tough time picturing any of the top 10, top 15 quarterbacks ever not being so locked in that they don't look at the clock and know we're going to have one more snap, that they're over in the stands taking a selfie that is that is a tough one for me. And is it, is, is it the deciding factor? No. Is it something that's hard for me in and of itself to get past? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, you know, I just, I know what top ten quarterbacks are like. Like, I, I played with Brady in New England. Like, I know what Drew Brees is like. I, I know what Russell Wilson is like. The attention to detail, the accountability, the that's that does not seem to be haskin's deal so far
0: you know it's like i've said uh, several times on the podcast and the radio show there are flags we'll find out you know down the road if if they're truly red or not because it's a new generation and a lot of the social media stuff i'm trying for the first time not to get super worked up over all of the the social media stuff and not view it in the form of sort of okay boomer, red flag automatically, because I actually really liked what I saw in the field from him. I thought he had a real competitive badass gene to him which i love in in a quarterback in in, ath- in athletes in particular there was an urgency and a competitiveness in him on the field that um you know that's innate uh, and and it's hard to sort of you know develop over time. So I'm in, I was very encouraged more so than I thought I would be last year. So I'm trying to ignore the rest of it. But you ultimately and my partner here on the podcast, Tom Laverro, who's with me two days a week, uh, feels you know sort of the same way that ultimately those those are going to be the red flags that we should have noticed and looked back on and said you know, that, 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 was telling. Um, I always love doing this. I really appreciate the time. I know you got to run at Ross Tucker NFL on Twitter. Um, listen to all of his different podcasts. He does a great job. They're available everywhere. You get this podcast. Um, thanks so much. Stay well, stay healthy.
1: Kevin, my pleasure. Anytime. Love talking Redskins. Love talking with you. Congrats on all the success, man.
0: To you too, Ross. Appreciate it. Thanks to Ross Tucker. Always good to catch up with him. Uh, Back tomorrow with Tommy.